right, good morning, everybody, or good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are. Glad that you guys could join us. Um, before I get going, I just want to touch again. You heard Pastor Gabe talk about the project we have to upgrade our video and, and specifically our streaming capabilities. If you're out there watching us online right now, you know um, it gets the job done. Um, the Word of God is getting out there. Our worship's getting out there, but I think we can do a much better job of that and multiple camera angles and crisper, clearer picture, um, all of those things together make a difference, in able, in, not in how God's Word can get out there, but the quality of our presentation, I think, does more glory and more honor to God. And that way, when it's out there and it's a good-looking uh, presentation, then things like grainy pictures and, you know, internet dropping in and out aren't a hindrance to God's Word getting out and doing what it's supposed to. We have people all over the country, all over the world, and then people here in our own backyards who can't get out because of either COVID or car issues or, or um, sickness or just different reasons they can't get out. This allows them to participate in what we do here. And so it's something that's very much on my heart to be able to, to present that in a way, again, that's not distracting, gives glory to God, and maybe a way that is attractive enough to where people want to invite friends to check it out or share it with family members out of town, that sort of thing. So please consider prayerfully giving to that project. I think it's the only uh, ask we've done since we've been a part of, since we've been Discover Community as far as a project that we're doing. So I'd like you to just pray about participating in that and help us, help us do what we do and get it out there in, in just a better way. So um, I want to get into the message. I've got, I've got a message that is different. You know, we've been in the, in the uh, book of Job. And the book of Job, most people would agree, is a difficult one. It's, it's full of um, pain and suffering and perseverance and questioning God and why is this sort of thing happening. It's a, it's a difficult book. It can be a heavy book. I think it's a book of, of great opportunity to grow closer to God. But it can be difficult. And so people have asked me, like, hey, can we take a break from time to time and talk about something a little, a little lighter, a little, a, little more, a little more friendly and fuzzy, right? So we're going to do that today. We're going to talk about the election. That's the same response the first service had. Yeah, it's, it doesn't get any easier for us, does it? Between COVID and, and the election and, and civil unrest and all the things that are going on, it just seems like life is getting more and more difficult. And many people would say the darkness just seems like it's creeping in, like it's just becoming darker and darker to be a human being on this planet today. And I want to share with you, my heart for this is that we would see this darkness not as a, as a terrible thing, but as an opportunity, an opportunity to be even more the light of the, of the world that we're supposed to be, that we're called to be the light. Anybody ever fly uh, at night and you're flying at night and you look out the window and especially when you're not over a city, you're just kind of out in those, in those uh, random areas. You look down and it's just dark, right? All you see, there's just dark out the window. And every now and then you see a little pinpoint of light. Anybody ever do that? And then they, I look at it and I go, I wonder what that is. I wonder if that's somebody's porch light. And I wonder if it's their porch light, what are they doing inside their house? Are they having dinner right now? Are they sitting down? And I'm paying more attention to this one pinpoint of light in the middle of the darkness than I ever would have otherwise, because it would have just been lost. During the day, it's just lost in the sea of all the other lights and things that are going on. But in the midst of that darkness, one little pinpoint of light all of a sudden draws our attention. And I think it's much like that in the world right now in the midst of darkness, in the midst of noise and just the things we're getting bombarded with day after day after day. No matter where you think, if you're in this place where you think the election turned out exactly as you were praying for, as you were hoping for, then fantastic, but it's still difficult. And if you're in that other place where you're like, my guy didn't win, then we still have a difficult time because it doesn't get any easier. That's just the human condition. It doesn't get any easier. So people say, why don't you talk more about current events? We're going to do that today. 
But I would argue that when we talk about things like the book of Job that we've been in, things like uh, good friends giving you bad advice, like people telling you things that really aren't helpful in your situation or maybe not even true at all, like being able to try and reconcile what you see in front of you, what's happening in the world around you with what you thought you knew about God, or even more so, wondering where God's hand is in all of this. Depending on how you feel about the outcome can change the way that we look at that, but it's still difficult, no matter where we are on that. So I think the Word of God, especially books like Job, speak exactly to every possible situation in the human experience that we go through. Because if we try and live through all these things that come our way, by our flesh, we're not going to make it. We're not going to make it well, especially. And so that's what I want to talk about. At my core, I have been grieved lately by seeing some of the posts, some of the Facebook posts, social media posts, some of the things people have said, people have emailed me, just different things that, that I'm hearing from Christians who are not reflecting the love of Christ in the way they say things. They are not sharing what they believe or what they think in a really Christ-like way. In fact, they're acting in many cases in the most unchristlike ways. You hear things like, or I've heard things like, and you probably have too, I don't care if this loses me friends. And I've said this before, but if you have to preface what you're saying or posting with that phrase, Look at it again, because we should care. We should care. Not that what we say might be difficult, because sometimes truth is difficult. But if we go in saying, I don't care if this loses me, friends, and I don't care if you hate me because I say this, we might be looking at it wrong. It should matter to us that our words might not be kind, might not be loving, might not be encouraging. That should matter to us. And so I'm going to speak on that subject today. Remember, as I taught in previous weeks, for a fact, and facts are just cold, blunt instruments, right? You can use a fact for just about any purpose that you want and make it say whatever you want. For a fact to become truth, you have to apply some other things to it. You have to apply wisdom, a little context sometimes. Wisdom, you have to apply a whole lot of love, and a whole lot of Holy Spirit before those things, those just individual things, can become what we would just call truth. So we look at what's going on in the world today, and there's so much reason to doubt what is truth. Because we see facts, whether it's about COVID or the election or anything else, being twisted and turned and manipulated all kinds of different ways to prove whatever point the speaker wants to make. And that can be very, very difficult for us. So as we go into this time, I want to look specifically like at the, at the election that we've gone through. When we look at the results of the election, the results as they are today, still unfolding, I know, but as we look at that, I can tell you, I have peace I have peace looking at the results today and looking that our president-elect of the United States is Joe Biden. I have peace in that. It's actually, I'll tell you, it's not how I voted, but I have peace. And in this church, we have people that voted on both ends of the spectrum. We have people who are absolutely elated that he won. They voted for him. That's who, that's who they perceive as the best for this country. They voted, and they are elated that he won. Then there are people on the other side who feel that Donald Trump was the same way. The best for this country, that's who they voted for. And they are very much disheartened right now. In some cases, they're digging in for a battle. But the point is, our peace shouldn't be swayed by things that happen on this earth. And that's hard. But I'm going to explain to you how that works. The sovereignty of God is what makes all that possible. 
understanding the sovereignty of God, how he is in charge, whether we see it or not, whether we understand it or not, an understanding simply that he is in charge is what gives me peace. Here's the thing about that, though. I heard a pastor say recently that telling people to just be at peace because God is in charge. No matter what, God's in charge. Telling people that, according to this pastor, it belittles and invalidates their feelings. And so his contention was we shouldn't say that anymore. God is in charge. Now, I wouldn't say that in a dismissive way. Sovereignty of God is not something just to dismiss everything, but we need to understand that because when we talk about invalidating feelings, let's talk for a second about feelings. Let's talk about feelings and where they come from. Your feelings come from a part of your body called the soul, right? The soul is comprised of your mind, your will, and your emotions, Your mind, your will, and emotions compose this thing called the soul, and it's what in church speak we call the flesh. When we talk about the flesh, that's mind, will, and emotions. So easily manipulated, and it's that broken part that needs saving. That's what your soul is. That's why we need a Savior. This part, this soul, can be manipulated so easily by Satan, and it can change at the drop of a hat, really, your emotions. How many woke up on the morning after the election, because it was all up in the air the night before, and the first thing you did is either look at your phone or turn on the news or however you get it, you looked at it, and based on the headlines that you read, it changed your mood for the whole day, or certainly at least for that moment. You were either extremely happy or you're extremely sad. Hardly any in between. And that changed what you felt inside just in a moment. That's how easily those things that, are, that reside in our soul can be manipulated like that. Feelings are real. Feelings are absolutely real, and feelings matter. Sadness, grief, joy, sorrow, pain, all those things, they are absolutely real. And I wouldn't for a minute suggest that they are not real and that they don't matter. But they can be manipulated. And so we need to know, just like when we're looking at news and the source of that, we should examine and question the source of our feelings. and Find out where they come from. Because that can give us a clue as to whether they line up with the heart of God or they line up somewhere else. And our struggle is always going to be to comprehend really God's purposes and the glory of God based on what we see. Based on our flesh, we are never going to be able to comprehend the full glory of God. We can study, we can learn, we can do all kinds of things to help us to understand it. But if we're not looking at what we see and hear through the lens of the Holy Spirit, None of it's going to be clear. We look at things all over the place, and we struggle, just like Job did. We struggle to reconcile. I see this, but it doesn't line up with what I thought God wanted. I see this, but how does that fit with what I've been taught about God? We struggle with that, and unless we look at all those things through the lens of the Holy Spirit, we are going to struggle to make sense. I used the analogy last service, and I was going to bring in some binoculars for a for a, a sermon illustration. It'd be like me looking over at our testimony board and trying to read some of those cards from here. But I've got binoculars hanging around my neck. And I'm looking and I'm trying to make it out and I can kind of sort of see a couple of them. And I might guess at it, but I'd probably be wrong. But you'd be saying, why don't you just pick up the binoculars and look at it? That's so much like with the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit, which will help us to see those things more clearly than our flesh ever could if we bothered to look through that lens. And so many times our flesh gets in the way and we just don't even think about doing it. So let's look a little bit more at the Spirit. The Holy Spirit given as a gift through 
Christ, okay? Given and renewed on a daily basis through Christ. And before the Holy Spirit was given, like Job in his life, all you had was a series of old covenants and things that you had to do. You had to offer sacrifice. You had to pray the right way at the right time. You had to do the right things in order to be kept safe. And that idea of being kept safe, safe from ourselves in many cases, Paul talks about that in Galatians. Galatians 3.24, he says this, So then, speaking about the law, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So we had all these laws, these lists of of to-dos and to-don'ts that we just really had to try our best to live by, but it was such a struggle. It was so hard to get it right. And we see that struggle that Job has time after time. He didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to help him through his struggles. He didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to give him peace and comfort when he looked around and couldn't reconcile what he saw and felt with what he thought he knew. When he couldn't reconcile those things, he was just left to his own flesh. And then the influence of his friends beaten away at him until eventually he set aside what he thought he knew and just went along with what they said. But with Jesus comes the new covenant that the prophets of old had promised. We'd always been promised this new covenant, this new thing. Joel, the Old Testament prophet, minor prophet Joel 2.28, says, it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. Meaning he didn't always have that indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It wouldn't be until after Christ that that happened. And to put more of a fine point on it, John 7, John chapter 7, 38, 39. This is the Apostle John says, He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. Were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So that didn't happen. The infill, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit didn't happen until Pentecost. Before that, they all had to just struggle to reconcile in the flesh the things that they saw happening around them, and it didn't always line up. So at Pentecost, the giving of the Spirit, which we receive through Christ, what a gift that is, right? What an awesome gift that giving of the Holy Spirit was and is today. Kind of depends on your perspective, right? Depending on your perspective, it's either an awesome gift or it's a burden that sometimes we wish we didn't have. Because with that, with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, our excuses to live by the flesh are gone. Our excuses to just let our mind, will, and emotions govern our actions, govern our words... Those excuses are gone. 1 John 4.13, it's the first scripture we have on the, on the screen here. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Two things there, by this. So what's this? We'll talk about what this is later. Let's look at the word abide. What does abide mean? There's been all kinds of, of teachings and different things on what that word abide means. And it can be it can be complicated. I tried to simplify it in a sort of a short version. Here's how I put that idea together. To abide in Christ means allowing his word to fill our hearts and minds, to direct our wills, overriding the flesh, and transforming our passions to what align with his. That part, overriding the flesh, seems easy or does it? That's hard. To let his word direct your hearts and your minds, direct your will, overriding the flesh. And then our passions would line up with his. Easier said than done, but I think that's at the crux of where we should go. When we look at how to respond in a world that's uncertain, in a world that maybe it seems like darkness is creeping in, how do we respond? We have to be able to let his word override what's in our flesh. Our flawed and sinful flesh would never be able to figure out how to do that on its own. 
so we have the Holy Spirit. Now remember, with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we're given gifts of the Spirit, but we're also given fruits, and we start growing in fruits. And the gifts help us to actually operate in the fruits. The fruits aren't something that just happen overnight. They grow, just like any fruit, that illustration. It would grow in you as we mature as Christians. Now remember, the fruits of the Spirit. Anybody remember what they are? Can you quote them? Let's look at it on screen. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is... Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Okay, so those are the fruits of the Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And in that, the fruits begin to grow and manifest in your life. These fruits right here. Now, most of us are pretty familiar with that passage, right? Anybody know off the top of your head what comes next? So keep that in mind. Verses 24 to 26, immediately following, says, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. So I want to ask you, I want to ask you, how are you doing crucifying your flesh? What does that even mean? Do you want to take a little test and find out how you're doing crucifying your flesh? Verse 26 in Galatians talks about challenging one another. Question for you, in your mind, what are the biggest challenges facing the church today? Or how about just you and your household? What are the biggest challenges that face us today? Anybody want to throw something out? How about there out online? You can make a comment in the comments and we'll look at it. What's that? Complacency, absolutely. Finances, for sure. Let's look. I put together a list. Now, this is just off the top of my head. Complacency, finances, things that we struggle with all the time. How about a little bit more kind of big picture sorts of things. Here's just a, just a short list that I put together. Okay, presidential election. Would we all agree that that's a challenge? No matter which side of it you're on, the whole process and even going forward, it's not finished yet. That's a challenge. How about various local ballot amendments and ballot issues? There's been a lot that I've been disappointed in, probably you too. There have been some that I've been happy about. But that's been a challenge. How about riots and civil unrest? BLM, Antifa, how about those things? How about the idea of Supreme Court packing? How about creeping socialism? How about Second Amendment challenges? Oh, yeah, there's this thing called the coronavirus. Anybody still remember that? It's been strangely beneath the radar the last couple days. How about government infringing on our rights? How about fake news, social media, global terrorism? How about murder hornets? When's the last time we heard of murder hornets? How about voter fraud? Racism? How about society turning away from Christ? How about the idea of abortion? Do you think those are challenges that face us today? Now, of all those things, I just gave you a list of 16 things and two more that that weren't even on this list. Of those things, think about this. You don't have to answer out loud. Which of those things do you think would also grieve God? Which of those things do you think would also grieve God? Do you think God gets up in the morning and worries about our Second Amendment rights being taken away? Do you think he spends a minute worried about voter fraud? I don't think so. He's got an eternal perspective, and we're challenged time and time again to have an eternal perspective. If those things are causing you 
to act or think in ways that are not in line with the fruits of the Spirit. Remember, peace, love, patience, kindness, joy. Your emotions, meaning your soul, might be being manipulated. Let me show you a little video I put together. Keep in mind, I want you to think about how this makes you feel. Check this video out. So how did that make you feel? Did you feel peace welling up in your heart? How about patience or love, or kindness, gentleness? Were those things welling up in your spirit? Remember, if you're feeling anything other than those things, your emotions may be getting manipulated. And I put that video together purposely to do that, to show you how easily it is for your emotions to be manipulated between the music and the scenes that I chose. There are ways that you can put that in a way that was encouraging, although it's hard to imagine, right? Or a way that manipulates our feelings and makes us feel. I would say my emotions mostly look in that are anger. And if you align with that, anger is kind of maybe one of the first things that comes up. What about righteous anger? So there's a difference between anger and righteous anger, right? Righteous anger. That's the, ex the excuse or the argument that I hear most often for my good Christian brothers and sisters posting and saying things that are not very Christian. They say, yes, but I have righteous anger over this because it's simply not right. It's not fair. It's not right. It's fill in the blank. And so I have righteous anger anger. It's ungodly and it's unloving, but they justify it using that phrase. So let's take a minute and look at that phrase, righteous anger. Anybody want to look at that phrase a little bit more closely? Let's look at what Paul says to the Ephesians when he wrote him a letter. Ephesians 4, 26, 27 says, be angry and yet do not sin. So we're given permission to be angry, but don't sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. It's exactly the same thing that David said back in Psalm 4.4. But let's look at that. Be angry, but don't give Satan fuel for his schemes. Is that even possible? How do we do that? How can we do that? Jesus' half-brother James in James 1.19.20 said this to put a little more clarity to it. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. What does that mean? I think maybe this phrase right here, the anger of man, maybe that gives us some kind of clue as to what's going on here, what this idea is. Since God is always righteous... He is always righteous. The anger of God can and is by nature righteous. But can the anger of man ever approach that? If we're going to, the right, if we're, if we're going to operate in righteous anger, for us, what it means is being angry at what makes God angry. If we're going to exhibit righteous anger and we're going to be in the right on that, our, our anger has to line up with what angers 
God. We need to be careful on that, okay? Only secondly, do we look at what grieves our spirit? Because we do have the Holy Spirit, and there are those things that will grieve our spirit. But we need to be careful to differentiate what's in our spirit and what is simply stirring our flesh. If it's stirring your flesh, it is not righteous anger. So a test, you can ask yourself. Anybody want to take another test? Let's look at this. Is your anger, let's just pick one of the, let's just pick one of the sinful spirits, spirit of pride. Is your anger over what's happening in the world around you today, is it rooted in pride? The test would be this. Have you ever looked at a news story or seen something that said, those idiots? Right? I hear a lot of grumbling and squirming in the seats. Have you ever said, that's so stupid, or they're so stupid, or even worse? Let me ask you this question. Maybe this will put a finer point on it. Will you be able to, in your heart and with all sincerity, pray for our president-elect, Joe Biden? Can you? If you can, I think you're tracking the right direction. The first service was very much like, I think we can. And I think you guys can do that too. And that's encouraging to me because it would be very easy. And if all you believed was what you saw on social media, then not a Christian on this planet is going to pray for Joe Biden. And I know that's not true. We are to pray for our leaders. And I personally have great peace in praying that God's will is going to be done through him. Through his presidency, I pray that his presidency would be blessed, that his family would be blessed, that he personally would be blessed, that God's will would be done through whatever he does, that he would find favor, and that God would be able to use his tenure at presidency to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. That's what I pray for. I started that the minute that they declared, and I'm going to continue to do that every day because he needs it as much as anybody has ever needed it. So, we look at that idea of righteous anger. What would that look like for a follower of Jesus? Just to, again, make that clear, because I hear that so often, but it's righteous anger, because have you seen X, Y, or Z? Let's look at what it would look like for a follower of Jesus. I've got some bullet points here. Number one, righteous anger is stirred by evil. Evil that twists God's holiness and perverts his goodness. In other words, we care more about God's reputation than our own. And it's certainly not based in our convenience. If your inconvenience is what's causing your anger, it is not righteous anger. Number two, righteous anger is humble. And it will seek first to see the log in your own eye before you call out the speck in someone else's. Number three, righteous anger is saddened, not just incensed by evil. Remember when Jesus overturned the tables in the temple? He went through. Not many people read the rest of that scripture. He actually has a whip, and he's whipping all of the merchants that were selling things. He was righteously angry. But we read later in scripture how it grieved his heart that it was necessary to do that. I saw a quote. Uh, writing from another pastor who said it like this, anger with no tears over evil is often evidence of a lack of love in us. If the evil doesn't drive you to tears, it might be evidence of a lack of love in us. The fourth point here, righteous anger is slow to be expressed, preferring redemption whenever possible. And then righteous anger is sometimes, it sometimes can and should act quickly. There are times when righteous anger needs to happen quickly. When we see an innocent about to be hurt, there are cases we need to act quickly. But this, that moment is not the time to be practicing hearing God's voice and the leading of the Holy Spirit. The time to do that in prayer is before that. So that in the heat of that moment, you're not reacting out of your flesh you are able to then discern the word of God and discern the enemy who wants you to act in your flesh. 
That's the only way we're going to be able to act quickly when we are called upon to do so. And there are times when we need to act quickly. The last one here, our righteous anger should always be aligned with the purposes of God and not with the schemes of Satan. There is no in-between. So given all this, how do we combat the darkness that we see creeping in around us in the world today? We have a choice. We can either rage against the machine, rage against the world, just like everyone else does. We can throw our voice into the cacophony of voices that are out there on the internet, social media, um, in the world, everywhere. We can just add our voice to that noise. Or we can be different. We can be different. We're called to be different. Jesus said we're not of this world. So why do we insist on behaving like we are? Why do we insist on lining up with everybody who is not a follower of Christ. Some are, some aren't, but we all just fall in these lines and we march forward under this banner of self-righteousness. John 18, 36, Jesus said this. When he was asked, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. This is Jesus saying, look, if this here on earth is all it was, if this is all we're concerned about, my people would be fighting you right now. But he told them not to. In fact, when they tried to, he rebuked them. He said, no, this isn't all there is. We have a perspective that's eternal. We have something much, much higher than what happens on this earth here. And our actions here on earth matter. When Christians rage against the world, we just become lost in this noise. And here's the question. When you add your voice to the multitude of voices who are claiming um, fraud and corruption and this and, and woe is me and how terrible everything is, does your voice stand out? Does anybody hear you? Or is it just your friends that you're preaching to? Let me show you this. Some of you who are my age or so might remember this. This is a clip from the 70s. I apologize for the quality of it, but it speaks to a point. Check this out. My broker says, in the long run, that kind of investment could be a good idea. What's your broker say? Well, my broker is E.F. Hutton. And E.F. Hutton says... When E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. When Jesus spoke, people listened. People listened to Jesus because what he said and the way he said it did not line up with their expectations of what he was going to say. Do you think people would listen to us more if we added our voice to all the other noise or if we were different? I think that's where we get our attention. If we respond as Jesus would, it will get attention and we will shine to the world like the light the church was meant to be. People always say the church should this or the church should that. We are the church. All of us are the church. And if we act just like the world, the light of the church is not going to shine amongst all the other noise. John 8, 12 Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's what I want. I want to not walk in darkness. I want to have the light of life, and I want that to shine through me. I want to be different. During these times of unrest, division, upheaval, challenges to everything that I have ever thought that I held dear, in my life, the church now, not in spite of, because of the darkness, we have an unusual opportunity. We have a great opportunity to be the light. And that darkness, this darkness that seems to be creeping in, will make our light shine even brighter in comparison, if we allow it to. The other... The other option will be that our worldliness 
will become even more apparent that we're no different. It hurts my heart when I hear people say, and it happens all the time, yeah, that's what I thought Christians were like. And they don't say it in a good way. That hurts me because we're better than that. We're called to be better than that. So I have just two more scriptures for you real quick. Matthew 5, 14 to 16. This is a description of who we are from Jesus. You, you all are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. See that idea of hiding your light under a basket. If we just sit here in our little echo chamber of fellow Christians, and this is where we're good, and maybe when we interact with each other, people we know, friends, that's where we're the light, the world doesn't see it. We can't just hide our light in here and then go out there in the world and engage like everybody else does. Our light will shine brighter when we are different. The world's watching us more than ever. Think about this. With the idea of social media, we have a platform now that the apostles could never have imagined. Think about what Paul would have done when Paul's going out on his journeys and he's walking thousands of miles through all this territory. It's unsafe and he's got to walk from town to town just to deliver his message. What would Paul have done with social media? Can you even think about that? What would Paul have done with the availability of social media? So think about that question. Just think about that in your head when you read what he wrote to the Philippians. Chapter 2, verses 14, 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you will appear as lights in the world. We are charged again and again to be the light. And you be, you are the light by being different. That's how our light shines the brightest. And so you look at this situation, this is not something to lament and something to mourn. No matter where you fall on the political scale, it doesn't matter. With everything that's going on right now, our opportunity to shine and be the light is greater than it has ever been. Are we going to take that opportunity? So really quickly, five quick points on how Christians should react to the world today. Number one, be thankful Jesus has overcome the world. Be thankful of that. Number two, be humble. Jesus opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Number three, be hopeful. Our hope is in the Lord and in him alone. Be prayerful. Rejoice and pray without ceasing. We're told that's the only way that we are going to get through this. And then the last one here, be different. We're told, we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people who belong to God, not to this world. Are we acting like it? Are we acting like we belong to God or to this world? This morning before I left, I love the way God works. He showed me something. It's a scripture, uh, not, not a scripture, I'm sorry. It's a quote by an author I'd never even heard of before, and it just showed up in my feed this morning. It's from Madeline Langle. She's a, an American author, Christian. And she said this quote, and I just wanted to kind of finish this message with this. We do not draw people to Christ by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. That's what being the light does in this world. So we have that choice. God chose us already. God gave his son for us already. Do we choose to abide in him or in the world? That's our choice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that you as always, that you sent your son Jesus to die for us, to reconcile us to you. This is an idea that just blows my mind every single day. 
that you loved us so much, flaws, warts and all, you loved us so much that you had to make a way so that we would be reconciled to you. And so, Father, let us, let us give thanks to what Jesus did and let us glorify that by our actions. Let us not take the gift of the Holy Spirit and take it for granted or worse yet, use it as a bludgeon for those around us. God, you showed your love by giving your son. Let us show our love by reflecting your son. Let us be the light. And Lord, we repent of anything that we have done, participated in, said, or even thought that made us less than the light of the world. Anything that the enemy has used to distract people from your light, we repent of that right now in the name of Jesus. So, Father, we thank you and we praise you. Amen. Amen. If you're at home, grab your communion supplies. If you're in here, um, we've got them on the table in the back. We're going to take communion here together. I have a scripture that I want to share with you as we go through this. This is from John chapter 6, uh, 53 to 58. I just want to read it to you. Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live. Because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So if you have the bread representing the body of Christ, this is the bread that came down from heaven. And those who feed on this bread will live forever. When Jesus spoke these words about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, they had no idea what he was saying and they couldn't get their minds around it. But verse 56, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me. That remain is the word abide and it means agreeing. Not to be perfect, we'll never make that, but to try to let the spirit in you override our fleshly impulse to live as a part of this world. Take the blood. Jesus, we thank you and we praise you because of who you are. We pray that in your name. Amen. Thank you, church.